there's always books that you know you kind of you read a lot. There's some books that you read on occasions, but then there's books that you read a lot and a lot. Um, and this was an absolute favourite in our house. Do you know this book? Yes. yes how much I love you. Um, this book was written in 1994, uh, and it has become an absolute classic children's books. In fact, I was looking up a little information about this book this week. Um, 43 million copies of this book sold across the world. It's been translated into 57 different languages. Um, it now has a dedicated website, guesshowmuchiloveyou.com. Um, <coughs> go figure. Um, and you can buy, all, you probably know this, all sorts of merchandise around this book, from fluffy toys to cups and plates for kids, you know, Whatever it is, curtains, group covers, the whole shebang, right? You can buy everything you want, uh, merchandise around this book. There have been a couple of other spin-off books that have been written uh, about with the, based on the two hairs. Totally different stories, but kind of spin-offs with the two hairs. Um, in fact, in the US, did you know there's an animated cartoon series uh, called Guess How Much I Love You with the Two Hairs? You can watch the uh, episodes on YouTube. I've been watching them this week. Fantastic. <laughs> Highly recommended viewing. <coughs> um, in case you don't know, the, the, the gist of the story is that uh, a little nut brown hair is going to bed one night and um, as big nut brown hair, doesn't actually say it's his father, but that's sort of the assumption, as big nut brown hair goes to, touch, uh, to tuck him in, little nut brown hair wants to tell big nut brown hair just how much he loves him. Uh, and as big nut brown hair listens, little nut brown hair says, guess how much I love you. Oh, I don't think I could guess that said Big Nut Brown here. This much, said Little Nut Brown. I'm not going to read the whole book, don't panic. <laughs> this much, said Little Nut Brown here. And he stretched out his arms as wide as they could go. Big Nut Brown here had even longer arms. But I love you this much, he thought. He said, hmm, that's a lot, thought Little Nut Brown here. And the book goes on with Little, little Nut Brown here trying to think up increasingly grand ways to tell Big Nut Brown Hair he loves him. Just thinking of bigger and bigger things. But every time he comes up with something, Big Nut Brown Hair manages to come up with something that's even bigger. Until the final... You know, if you've read the book, you remember how this ends. Until finally, as he lays down, he looks up at the moon above and Little Nut Brown Hair uh, finishes the book by saying... I've got to find this. Um, I love you right up to the moon, he said, and he closed his eyes. Oh, that's far, said Big, Big Nut Brown Hair. That's very, very far. Big Nut Brown Hair settled Little Nut Brown Hair into his bed of leaves. He leaned over and he kissed him goodnight. Then he lay down close by and he whispered with a smile, I love you right up to the moon and back. And back. You're, you remember how it ends. <laughs> it's a brilliant... I, I think it's... I, I, I mean, I'm not an expert on kids' books, but I think it's a brilliant book for two reasons. Other than the fact that, you know, they're great illustrations. And all that. It's a brilliant book because kids love hearing parents tell them how much they love them. And parents love telling their kids how much they love them. We're in a series uh, exploring what God thinks about us. Because we all wonder, don't we, what other people really think of us. 
You know, what do my family really think of me? What does my boss really think of me? What do my friends really think of me? And you might have even asked, I wonder what God really thinks of me. I mean, because we talk a lot about what we think about God, but what does God really think about us? And if I could take God out for coffee and ask him about you, ask him about you, ask him about you, what would he say? In this series, we can explore some of the things that God says about you, that God says about me. And I want to look today at one of the maybe most common, but I also think kind of most misunderstood things that God says about us. And that's when God says, you are loved. You are loved. And I said, I, I state, it's one of the most common things because um, God's love for his creation, love for his people is all over the pages of his story. It's all over the pages of the Bible. I mean, you only have to start with the most, uh, the most popular, the most well-known verse in the whole Bible, John 3.16. Even if you've never picked up a Bible, most people kind of know John 3.16. It's the verse that goes, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Why did he do that? Because he so loved the world. He so loved you. He so loved me. He so loved his creation. Time and time again, God speaks words of love over people. Time and time again, God demonstrates his love for people. And then over 2,000 years ago, in an, act of, in an extraordinary act of love, God gives us the ultimate demonstration of love. When he gives his own son, when he sends Jesus to earth to be executed in our place as an act of his total love, his total devotion to you and to me. Paul writes it this way when he writes to the church in Rome, about 20 years, 20, 30 years after the resurrection of Jesus, Paul would write this. That God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So it's at this point during the week, during the last couple of weeks, that I, I started writing a message about how we see God's love demonstrated to us across the Bible, about how we see Jesus as the ultimate demonstration of God's love. But actually through all that out this week, when I realised that everyone kind of knows that. I mean, kind, I mean, knows it, you know, at least sort of. I mean, if you ask people who don't follow God, if you ask non-Christian people, people who don't read the Bible, maybe don't even own a Bible, they've still heard the God loves you thing somewhere. Maybe they've seen it on a bumper sticker or, uh, you know, a sign at a football game or something like that. They might not believe it, but they kind of know it. I mean, they might even, not only do they not believe it, uh, they, they, they may even believe sort of completely the opposite about God, but they still know it. You know, that sort of thing where people say, well, if I walked into a church, what would happen? You know, lightning would strike me down. They don't believe God loves them, but they kind of know it. And if you ask most Christian people, people who would say they follow God, people who, who do read the Bible or, you know, have grown up in the church, if you ask them if God loves them, they'll say, yeah, sure, God loves me. But they say it like you've asked them, is the sky blue? You know, does God love me? 
Yeah, yeah, he loves me. Now let's get on with life. And my guess is that, the, and I'm just being really honest, the reality is that right now, some of you are already starting to sort of mentally glaze over. Because, oh, it's another story about, you know, another message about God loves me. Heard this one all before. I know this story. And I want to ask this morning, how do we get to this place? How did we get to a place where, the, where, where everyone knows the idea that God loves them, but that that message has so little real impact on our lives? How did we take the most extraordinary news in all of history and turn it into a cliché? Because when Paul wrote those words, when Paul first wrote, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He wrote something so amazing, so different, so unexpected, that when people heard that news, they stopped in the streets and said, can you tell us more? That's how the early church grew, because that news was so transforming. It was so different than anything anyone had heard before. You mean there's a God out there that actually knows me? There's a God that that knows my name. There's a God that knows who I am. There's a God that cares about me. In fact, you're going to say, there's a God that loves me? Are you kidding me? There's a God out there, a God that actually loves me so much, so much that he would die to save me. No one had ever said that before. No one has ever said that since about any other God. There's no other God about which anyone would say that today. There's no other God about which people would say, this God loves you so much, knows you and loves you so much that he would die so that you could be saved. So I'm not going to do the walkthrough of, uh, of love in the Bible. Instead, I want to speak directly to two groups of people today. First, I want to speak to those people who don't think that God loves them. People who think, I've heard that, and maybe I might even nod to it on the outside, but inside me, I think I'm too bad for God to love me. I'm too messed up. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not whatever enough for God to really love me. I know it. I might even come to church, sing the songs. But I don't think a God like that could really love me. And I want to say to you this morning, if that's you in any way, if you've ever heard that that's what God thinks about you, if, if you've ever heard a message about God that suggests that you're not quite something enough for God to love you, you're not quite good enough 
You're not quite old enough. You're not quite smart enough. You don't come to church enough. You don't know the Bible enough. You don't whatever enough. If you've ever heard any of that, I want to say to you as, as gently but as firmly as I possibly can, you are so, so wrong. What you've been told is so, so wrong. What you've heard about God, what you've heard about what God thinks about you is so, so wrong. And I want to say to you as clearly as I can, there is a God who knows you and loves you and it has nothing to do with anything you've done. It has nothing to do with how smart you are or how good you are or how nice you are. It has nothing to do with your daily habits. It has nothing to do with the things that you do in private. It has nothing to do with what you think. It has nothing to do with what you do. It is everything to do with who God is and how he thinks about you. There is a God who loved you and loves you so much that he would sacrifice himself so that you could live forever in relationship with him. That he wants nothing more than to live in relationship as a friend, as like a father and a child. He wants to live with you. He wants you to live with him. And he would literally give up the life of his son to make that a reality possible. And he did that while you were a total mess. Paul says, while you were a sinner, while you were thinking those bad thoughts, while you were doing those bad things, while you were not reading your Bible every day, while you were not praying as much as you think you should, while you were still thinking that stuff about other people at school, or while you were still saying that stuff, while you were still hanging out with those people, I want to say to you as clearly as I can that Jesus didn't come to judge you and to tell you what's wrong with your life. He came to love you. In fact, the verse that happens right after that famous John 3.16 verse is John 3.17, kind of not surprising. And that goes like this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. He says as clearly as he can, not, not only does God so love the world, but, but, but Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn them. Jesus wasn't born to stand up and just say, right, now that I'm here, I need to tell you some things that are wrong about you. I need to tell you the things that you need to change in you. I need to tell you the things that you need to get right before God's going to love you. Jesus didn't come to do any of that. Jesus came to say, I love you and I'm going to save you in the middle of your mess and your failure and what you think is your hopelessness. That's what it means to say you are loved by God. And of course that love doesn't mean that your life's going to be perfect. Saying God loves you doesn't mean your life's going to be perfect. Any more than a, than a loving parent of a child makes life perfect for that child, does it? 
There are still going to be all of those moments when, when, when God has a perspective on life and, and God has wisdom that, that you don't have and he does things in your life that you don't get. Just the same way as a little child looks at a parent and says, Daddy, Mommy, why are you doing that? And God's still going to discipline you. I know that's kind of a hard thing to say, but just the way a parent disciplines a child, not because they don't love the child, a parent disciplines a child exactly because they do love them. Don't they want the best for them? All that stuff's going to happen. But just just as as a loving parent would say to a child, none of that changes how I feel about you. I know you don't understand that. I know you don't get that. I know you don't don't agree with that. But all I can tell you is I love you more than you can possibly imagine. But I also want to talk this morning uh, and, and talk specifically to those of you who are already Christian. To those of you who would say, I love God, I follow God, I believe in God. To those of you who are in that group of people who eyes... Uh, you know, we're sort of a bit glazed over because there's another message on the love of God. You need to nudge the person next to you and say, he's talking to you now, wake up, you can do that. <laughs> and I want to say this, and this is my opinion, right? This is, this is not Bible, but this is my opinion. I wonder, I wonder if the reason, if at least one of the reasons that many non-Christian people are not convinced about the crazy love of God is because we don't live lives that demonstrate the crazy love of God. We don't live like this is the best news in history. We don't live like we are blown away every day that God loves us. Not that we were blown away one day way back in our teenagers when I had that amazing, you know, that that experience at a camp. Not that. Every single day I'm completely overcome by the love that God has for me. We don't live like the love of God in our lives is more important than anything else. Because you know the truth is that every time we say, Yeah, God loves me. That's cool. But man, did you see the footy last night? Do you know every time we say something like that, we communicate something about the love of God. Every time we say, God loves me. Yeah, for sure God loves me. Oh, but do you want to see what I bought at the shops during the week? Every time we say something like that, we communicate something about the love of God to people around us. Every time we say, yeah, I believe that God loves me. I believe that God loves me. But I tell you what, I am so fired up about that thing that happened on Facebook this week. I've been on Facebook, I've been doing this all week. Every time we talk like that, we communicate something about the love of God. Every time we say, yeah, God loves me. That's so cool that God loves me. Oh, but man, my family just means everything to me. Every time we say that, we communicate something about the love of God. In fact, let's be really awkward and say, every time that we say in our minds, even if it's not out loud, every time that we say in our minds, 
It's another message about the love of God. I want to suggest to you, that's actually the problem, right? If we just go, oh, just another one talking about the love of God. Maybe the reason that people who don't know God aren't stunned by the idea that God loves them is because we don't live lives that are stunned by the idea that God loves us. And maybe the best thing that we can do today is just to sit with the words of Jesus. Just to sit with the words of Paul. Just to sit with the reality of our own experience. And to rethink how the wonder of the love of God impacts our life. What does the wonder of the love of God mean to you at school? What does the amazing love of God mean to the way you go to university or to work? What does the wonder of the love of God mean the way that what does that mean for the way that you see your friends and your family? The way that you go to work, the way that you play sport, the way that you watch TV, the way that you read books, the way that you cook. Maybe you've heard this God loves me message all your life. But you've never really stopped to think how amazing that is. I know that happens for some people, particularly people who've who've grown up in, in kind of Christian homes. You know, like you can't remember a time when God hasn't loved you. But you've never had a moment where you've actually stopped to sit in that reality. And just to allow the truth of that to affect you really affect you, not just in your mind, something you know, but in your heart. Maybe you do know how amazing that message is, but you've forgotten to live that way. And that happens, that happens to me. Maybe you realise today that you've just been so overcome by life and doesn't that happen, you know? work and family and all this sort of stuff that the wonder of God's love just is kind of on the back burner. It's still there. But we begin to take it for granted. It begins to be one of those things, yeah, I know that, but I've got to get on with life. Maybe we need to pray that, that prayer that, that David prays. It's written in Psalm 51 in your Bible. David has this moment where he realised that, he, that, he's, that he's forgotten how wonderful God is in his life. And he prays this prayer. He prays, God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Remind me of how wonderful it used to be. Give me back. I remember. You know, when God first came to me, it was like, wow. Give me that back again. Because I've forgotten that. So wherever you're at today, I want to give you a moment. I want to give you a few moments this morning to sit with or to re-sit with the reality of how extraordinary God's love is for you. I'm going to invite you in just a moment to put down your Bibles, put down your notebooks, put down your phones. And I'm going to read over you some scripture. I'm going to read over you some of the things that people wrote about God's love for us. And when they wrote these, these things, 
changed history. When people read these things, they could not believe that this was true. I'm going to read some scripture. I'm going to give you copies of this scripture afterwards, so don't worry about looking it up or finding it. But I want you to just invite you now. In, I'm serious, just a few, but just close your eyes and allow the word of God to speak over you the reckless love of God. For God so loved the world. He so loved you. He so loved me. He so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He gave him up that that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have eternal life. God demonstrates his own love. He demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were still stuck in our own mess and our own failure, our own sense of hopelessness, God demonstrated his love that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But because of his great love for us, his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, he made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It's by grace that you've been saved. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And this is how God showed his love amongst us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And finally, the words of Jesus himself. He spoke these words that I'm about to read. And when his friends heard them, they thought they were sort of a good idea. I guess that they thought that he was sort of speaking a a hypothetical kind of thing. It wasn't until much later that they realised that he was actually talking about something that he was going to do. When Jesus said these words, Greater love, greater love has no one than this, 
to lay down one's life for one's friends. Greater love has no one than this. To lay down one's life for one's friends. That's how much God loves you. That's what God thinks about you. Thank you.